You may open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we shall find the sober invitation that the great prophet gave to Israel. I like this kind of an invitation. Most nauseate me because they're so unscriptural. But this one is scriptural because we find it in the scriptures. I hope that you read 1 Kings 17 and 18 last night in preparation. Therefore, I need spend little time on the context for this verse. The nation of Israel, the ten tribes, have been playing with Baal worship. They have a king and a queen committed to Baal worship, Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel are promoting the religion of Baal vigorously in the nation by persecuting and killing the prophets of God and feeding and supporting out of the treasury the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves, which number 950. Elijah has called for a drought upon the land that has lasted three and a half years. The drought is now coming to an end. The nation has been humbled somewhat by their poverty during this time of want. Elijah meets up with Ahab and faces him face to face. And tells him to gather the nation, all the prophets of Baal, 450, and all the prophets of the groves, 400. Bring them to Mount Carmel with the people. And Ahab comes with them. And here's the invitation. That a man of God gives. 1 Kings 18.21 And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered him, not a word. And so then Elijah said, I'm one. They're 950, or they're 450, depending on how you're looking at it. Let them provide two bullocks, and we'll find out who God is. And what a wonderful chapter. I remember as a young child learning this chapter and rejoicing in Elijah making fun of these slashers and body piercers who were on the altar of Baal till the blood ran. And Elijah mocked them and mocked their God and told them he must be sleeping or he's on a journey and that they ought to cry a little louder that he might be heard. Wonderful story. I hope you enjoyed it last night with your children. This is true history. The story of God's dealings with His people and the nations. I hope you enjoyed at the end that Elijah puts his head down between his knees and begs God for the rain to start. He sends his servant seven times to look out toward the sea. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Go seven times. And on the seventh time, a little hand. Come, listen. Does that fire your soul? A little hand comes up out of the sea, and it's the hand of God. 
And Elijah says, servant, get down and tell Ahab he better put on his best chariot horses and head for Jezreel or he's not going to make it. Then the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and outran the king's chariot horses. Praise the Lord. That's all in 1 Kings 18 and some more to boot. And 1 Kings 17 as well. That's the pleasure of the chapter. The pain of the chapter is we need to answer the question, the invitation, that Elijah gives us in that 21st verse. There's three positions in the verse. There's three options. And all of you are in one of them. I am nothing but Balaam's ass. I am nothing but a trumpet for the Lord to give you these words of warning and some others with them. You will give an account of December 9th, 2007. You fall into one of the three categories. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord, Jehovah, is God, follow Him. If Baal, the God of the public education system, the God of our government, the God of the entertainment industry, is God, then follow Him. Three positions. Following the Lord God. Following Him. Not giving Him lip service. But following him, what he says you're doing, you are in the way of righteousness with him. You're looking for his commandments. You're letting his word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your pathway. If the Lord Jehovah is God, then follow him. If Baal and the world is God, then follow it. But don't halt between two opinions. Because halting is the worst of all worlds. Halting is... Saying, yes, I think there's a God, but living like Baal is God. The halting position is one that says, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but living like a worldling and living with affection for the world. That's the worst position. That's lukewarm. That's what Jesus Christ said he would spew out of his mouth. He would, we were either hot or cold. There's three positions in verse 21. There's the man who's halting between the two and doesn't make a sold-out commitment for one of them. Jesus would say, I would, ye were rather cold, than to pretend you're a follower of mine and not follow me. Halting is a terrible predicament and situation. And we want to hate that position of hypocrisy and compromise. Because that's what it is. When you're between two positions and you're unwilling to commit yourself, you're a compromising hypocrite. If the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord, then let's make Him the Lord of every part of our lives. Let Him consume our thoughts. Let Him guide and guard our words. Let Him direct our feet. Let our affections be filled with Him. If the world is your God and you are truly a belly worshiper. And that's what the New Testament describes such. Then go for it. Feed your belly. 
Belly is used for throwing down a hamburger. The cheap life of a wild ass. Throwing food down because all you're interested in is what you can get out of life. That's what you think about every day. That's what you drive for. That's what's motivating you. That's where your affection is. Your thoughts are around this life. Then go for it. But don't halt between two opinions. As I've heard said before, and as I mean in sober kindness, the door at the back works both ways. We love those who come in only if they love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. The door swings in both directions. Go fill yourself like a wild ass with the green grass of this wilderness that we're strangers and pilgrims in. But don't halt between two opinions. Don't give us lip service and don't give the Lord lip service and not have your heart in it. Every one of you are in one of three categories. You're in love with the world, you're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're playing games with both. Lord, help us and save us from such a predicament. The most important thing you can do, the reason we come together, the reason for this assembly today, is to examine yourself. Examining yourself, as was just prayed, was a thing David exalted. He was a man after God's own heart, but he had learned to search his heart and to ask God to search his heart. The Apostle Paul would tell the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine themselves and see if you're in the faith or if you're a reprobate. It's a, it's a, a thing we have to do. How am I living? Am I living the sold out life of an Elijah? Or am I living the compromising life of these silent Israelites who wouldn't commit? Or am I living like Jezebel? Living like Jezebel is better than living a life of compromise. Go for it. I would you were cold rather than lukewarm. I love this invitation. There's no God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life here. There is responsibility thrown on each person hearing his voice. How long halt ye between two opinions? Now, in a few minutes, a few hours, they're all going to be saying, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. But do you know what? Momentary revivals are not what the Bible's about. It is continuing that marks us as the true disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not getting aroused by fire falling down on an altar one time. It's getting aroused by such an event, confessing our sins, repenting, and then continuing in the course of righteousness. Every day, day by day, day after day, putting the Lord first in our lives. All men have faith. Do you know that? All men have faith. I love to think about the faith of the atheist. The faith of the atheist is, I believe and trust that the God of the Christians doesn't exist Because I'm in trouble. That's the faith of the atheist. I believe and hope and trust that the God described in the Bible doesn't exist or I'm in trouble. 
Whether they ever verbalize it or not, most of them aren't intelligent enough to verbalize it. Most of them are so deceived they can't think in words that clear. They just go ahead and live for themselves because they have great faith that they are as high as it gets in the universe. And they answer to no one. They have faith. The hypocrite has faith. He thinks he can come in here, show up once in a while, show up often, sing with us, act like he's a Christian, dress on Sundays, and think he can get away with it. When the Lord Jesus Christ says he comes and searches among his candlesticks and looks for everyone that has lost their first love and every church that has lost its first love and takes its candlestick away, you cannot play with the Savior or King Savior and King, that I preach for. I was a rebellious teenager. I was a foolish teenager. I had been given more opportunity to live for the Lord than probably anyone else here from my birth. And I thank God that in the last years of my teenage years, when I was 18 and 19 years of age, that he helped reduce my life to three choices. Jonathan Crosby, are you going to live as if there is a God, as if there is no God, or are you going to play the life of a hypocrite and say there is a God and live like there is no God? Those are the three choices you're all in. There is a God and live like it. There is no God and live like that. Or, I think there's a God and live like there is not one. That's the life of a compromising hypocrite. Most Christians fall in to that latter category. Most. Not a few. Not some. Most. Paul said there were many. That he had told the Philippian church with tears. They were the enemies of the cross of Christ because they were belly worshippers for they minded earthly things. The straight gate and the narrow way has few that find it. Broad is the gate, as we sang today. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. I thank God that when Jesus Christ looked into the church at Sardis, He said, Thou hast a few names there. With, there's always the church within a church. Of those who are committed and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And do daily try to live for Him. And the things of the world do not seduce them away. We want to be in that number so that when Jesus Christ looks, we are in and among the few. The few that are willing to make the commitment that few men are able to make. The hypocrite believes, he believes he can sin and get away with it. He believes that God will either not see him or not punish him for his sins. You all have secret temptations. I have secret temptations. They're secret from you, but they're not secret from me. And they're not secret from God. What do we do with those temptations? Do we allow them? Cultivate them? Or mortify them. How diligent are you about mortifying them? 
If there's a God in heaven, and these are the words the Lord gave me when I was a teenager. If I am, and I don't mean I had a Benny Hinn moment. This is what he convicted me from his word. If I am half of what the Bible describes me to be, how should you live your life? I call that a no-brainer. If God is only half what the Bible describes him to be, I owe him everything I've got as long as I live. Every breath I can muster for him. The sacrifice of anything amounts to nothing. If God is only half of what the Bible describes, and I tell you this morning, on the authority of God's word, he is everything the Bible describes. The half is just the way that I was convicted that if you were to cut... God in half by the Bible. The terribleness of dealing with Him. The dreadful and great God that we worship. If He was only half that terrible and dreadful, I still owed Him everything. Let alone when He's as great as the Bible describes Him to be without any limitation or dilution. Every one of you believes something today. You either believe you are can play the life of a hypocrite and get away with it, Because there's really only two classes in this room. Because if you were truly a wild ass, you wouldn't even be here. Because if the world is what we're alive for, then you shouldn't be wasting four hours here today. Get out there and eat some more green grass, wild ass. Get out there and do it. You wouldn't even be here. So, we can pretty much reduce ourselves to two categories. Those that want to live for God with all their hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And those that want to say so and not do it. Turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 11. Let me defend myself against those that might think I'm too crude. I was telling my youngest son last night that calling sinners wild asses is nothing. Compared to what Ezekiel unloaded on Israel. And I let his ears taste some real crudeness. If you go and read the sermons of Ezekiel, he didn't mess around. When God is comparing idolatry and friendship with the world to spiritual adultery, he gets rather graphic. Job 11. And verse 12. For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Men want to be wise. Men think they are wise. Men exalt their opinions and lifestyle in the world. And yet look what the Bible tells us, that men are born just like a wild ass's colt. Do you know you came into the world in just as pretty of a scene as a wild ass's colt gets here? Sorry, young man. Emma and Grace are coming into this world like wild asses' colts. The Lord wants to remind us that the birth process is not pretty. And we come the same way the wild asses bring their young into life. We are glad to have you here. We love you and your wife very much. And we're praying for a wonderful 
weekend and the beginning of a new week for all four of you. I love the Word of God. Vain man would be wise. Oh, yes. He wants to be so wise, he wants to heap degrees upon himself and give himself honor. And the Lord reduces him. You came here, look just like a wild ass's colt. Let's read about wild asses further in chapter 24. Job 24. You know, when four and then five learned men get together, they get pretty plain too, don't they? Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Job, and Elihu were all pretty plain with each other. Job 24 and verse 5. Behold, as wild asses in the desert go they forth to their work, rising betimes for a prey. The wilderness yieldeth food for them and for their children. Here the wild ass is mentioned again. He will not live in the barn. He will not stay on the farm. He goes into the desert. He goes forth to whatever he's going to do. He rises early to go get himself what he can. The wilderness, rather than the cultivated fields, yield food for them and for their children. They're wild. They want to go do their own thing. They are not bound by any man, nor will they submit themselves to a farmer or a driver. Turn to chapter 39 and see more details about the wild ass. Job 39, the Lord speaking now. Verse 5, and he's mocking Job's inability to create a creature like the wild ass. Job 39, 5, who hath sent out the wild ass free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings. He scorneth the multitude of the city, neither regardeth the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. I love the text. He searcheth after every green thing. What his heart is on, what his mind is on, is every green thing that he can get himself after. He does not want the multitude of the city. He does not want the good life in the city of being fed grain every day and performing some little task of hauling a cart around. The wild ass is a wild donkey. If you can picture, you know, we live in a time where it's hard to picture some of these creatures that God puts in the Bible. But this is a wild donkey that cannot be used, will not submit himself to men, avoids the population, runs away, and lives in the wilderness. And the Lord wants to mock Job by saying, Can you create a creature as stubborn, as wild, as foolish, as lustful as the wild ass? That's the point of these verses. I've created this creature. Look at it. You know its traits. It will not be bound. I hope you know where I'm going with this. What's the wild ass? The wild ass is someone who wants the world. They will not wear the straitjacket of the religion of Jesus Christ. Where do you get the straitjacket from? The words, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. That word straight there does not mean that it is the shortest distance between two points. For those of you who remember a little bit from geometry, straight there means restrictive Binding and denying ourselves 
to follow Jesus Christ. Turn over to Jeremiah 2, where the prophet of God will tell the people of God that they are wild asses. All your life can be reduced to three choices. Is there a God and I'm going to live like it? Is there no God and I'm going to live like there is not one? Or am I going to play the life of a hypocrite by acting like there's a God but not living accordingly? I hope you'll reduce your life to three questions today and answer them. You will answer them before God. You will give an account for how you answered them today and what you did because of what we are considering right now. Jeremiah 2.24, if we were to read the whole chapter, which would take us too long, it would tell you that the prophet is rebuking these people. And he's describing them as, verse 24, a wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure. In her occasion, who can turn her away? All they that seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they shall find her. Totally committed to the lusts of her flesh. Snuffing up the air, trying to pick up the scent of a male. And if this wild ass can snuff up the air and pick up the scent of a male, you are not going to stop her. In her month, the month of her excessive desire to mate, all you need is a male and you'll be able to find her there. Because that's where she's going. This is the word of the Lord to his people. This is not the word of the Lord to the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord to Israel. A wild ass used to the wilderness. That snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure. In her occasion, who can turn her away? When she's after a male, who can stop her? And brethren, if we are honest with ourselves, we know that in our flesh there is such a craving and love for this world equal to the wild ass. And if you don't admit that, you're already lost. That is in every single one of us. Paul had it in him, and David had it in him. That's why he begged God to keep him back from presumptuous sins. How about another one? I want to multiply witnesses. In case you don't like the name calling today. Hosea chapter 8. Hosea chapter 8. Man's born like a wild ass's colt. Jeremiah calls the people of God like wild asses. Describes why they're like a wild ass. They're rebellious. They're lustful. They're wild. They're unruly. They will not be tamed. They will not learn. They hate the driver. And I get the pleasant task today of trying to be a driver. I speak as a fool when I call it pleasant. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 9. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. This is God's judgment by Hosea for Samaria and Israel going to foreign nations to get help. They went to buy their aid instead of dropping to their knees and begging God for deliverance. And so look what he calls them in 8-9. They're gone up to Assyria to make a deal with them, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. 
There's this wild ass out there looking to fulfill its lusts in the world rather than humbling itself before God. Thank the Lord that at the same time there was a king named Hezekiah of Judah who did humble himself. He didn't make a deal with the enemy. He made a deal with the Lord. He laid that letter down on the floor and said, look at Lord what they're saying against you. And the Lord took out 185,000 of those Assyrians in one night. That's how we ought to live. Put your tri- Let's love the Lord and live for Him and obey Him and keep His commandments and delight in Him and rejoice in Him and praise Him and give thanks to Him and hate this world and turn away from it and delight ourselves in the offerings of peace and praise with one another by living for the Lord with all our hearts and all our souls and all our might. I've tried it the wild-ass way. I've tried to wild-ass way more than once. It's the most disappointing, frustrating, and painful, and troublesome experience as you can imagine. Is that right? Thank you. I thought we had agreement on that. Amen. But I know that we can agree with all you that are honest and sincere, living like a wild-ass. Is totally disappointing, totally frustrating for a child of God. Thank you, Lord. What are you today? Three choices. There is a God in heaven, and I'm going to live all out for him. I'm going to live all out for him. His word's going to be important enough to me that I'm going to read it every day. His ear is important enough for me that I'm going to Beseech it every day. His holiness is important enough to me that I'm going to confess my sins every day. His praise is delightful enough to me that I'm going to listen to his praise and his music every day. Because I know he hates the world, I'm going to hate the world. I'm going to despise their entertainment, their music, their lifestyle, their philosophy. Because he says I should seek the kingdom of God first, all my decisions will be based on putting the kingdom of God first. Not second, not sort of first, but first. This is a choice. This is the one I want all of us to walk out of here making. There is a God in heaven, and he deserves everything I have. All day long, every day, for the rest of my life, I am nothing but a creature made by him for his pleasure that he has redeemed to be his child. I owe him everything. I'm twice his because he created me and he redeemed me. I'm not going to get caught up in the things of this life. I'm not going to get seduced to let down my guard and let the world's entertainment steal my soul. I'm going to keep my heart with all diligence because he told me to. I'm going to love him more than anything else. And everyone, and he will know that I love him more than anything else. The little pleasures I have in this life, I will thank him for them. And I will turn to him again. Because he is my all in this life. A choice. There's a God in heaven, and I'm going to live all out for him. Very few men in the history of the world have done it. That's a sickening shame. 
The Lord God said in Ezekiel 22 and 30, I sought for a man among them that should stand in the gap before the land and make up the hedge, and I found none. Ezekiel 22, 30. Why to Israel, after hundreds, yea, over a thousand years, would the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel have to bring up Moses, Samuel, Daniel, Job, and Noah to Israel? Because those were five great men, and there have been few men like them. You say, well, I can't be like one of those five men. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Listen to the connection of these verses. You, you know this verse so well, but you know its context. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You all know that verse. You've heard it so many times, I believe most of you could quote it. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But you know how you please him? You believe that he is, and you believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is what I'm saying about choice number one. There is a God, and I am going to diligently seek him. I believe that he is, and he is a rewarder. You know the verse. Do you know what it follows? This verse. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. How do we please God? Believe that he is, and he's rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can be like Enoch. Now, I think that's pretty high, lofty company. What does the Bible tell us about Enoch? He was not, because God took him. I don't want you down there any longer. You're too far away from me. Come up, come up into heaven where you can be with me every day. I don't want you to have to die. Come here. Oh, praise the, come up hither. And it was better than John's vision. Enoch was there, body, soul, and spirit. There's exceptions to a lot of rules, aren't there? Enoch was one of those exceptions, body, soul, and spirit in heaven. But you know what it said? He had this testimony. Oh, it must be something great. To be translated into heaven, he pleased God. Do you know how we can please God? He is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We can't seek him halfway. Do you know what he thinks of halfway? You're double-hearted and double-minded. You're only giving me half, and you're giving my enemy the other half. I want all of your love. He is a jealous God. And if we say that there's a God, like the Bible describes, we have to understand he is named jealous and he wants all of us. All of us. All parts of us and all of us. You need a vision of the God of heaven. How do you find a vision of the God of heaven? You can't find it in your television. You can't find it in a novel on any subject. How do you find a vision of God? In his word. Go into his word and find one of those visions of God. Like Isaiah. When he met God in Isaiah chapter 6. And just a short vision of the glory of God. Isaiah said. Woe is me. For I am undone. He saw his sinfulness. In the sight of that holy God. But then he said. Here am I. Send me. I'll do anything you want. 
I'll go anywhere you choose. Send me. I'm all yours. That's how we ought to react. We want to read the Word of God and fill our souls with it. The more you read it, the more you want and believe that He is. The more you believe that He's a diligent rewarder of those that seek Him. Because you see the enormous difference in God's departure from Saul and God's love of David. What was the difference between Saul and David? It's not huge. But it is huge. It's just, there's a God and I owe Him everything. David always wanted to pay everything. Saul couldn't even wait seven days, do you remember? Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. And at the end of those seven days, Saul got impatient and offered to sacrifice himself. Off went his reign. Off went his family tree. Over. Done. Them that honor me, I will honor. Was told to Eli. But Eli loved his sons too much. He lost his whole family tree. And he got to hear about them dying before he got to die. Just remember when Eli fell backward off that rock and broke his neck because he was a heavy man. He got to hear some news before he had that privilege. He got to hear that his sons were dead and the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the Philistines. How did all of that happen? Because he didn't give everything to the God of glory. He compromised with his sons instead of standing up for the holiness of God. He should have removed them from the priesthood or run them through with a javelin. Phinehas would have been a much greater father than Eli. Where is your zeal? How much do you love the Lord? Are you loving Him like the Apostle Paul who said, I count all things dung for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Are you willing to scrap it all? And is it already scrapped in your heart? Is reading the Word of God the delight of your soul every day to meet Him? When you get to sit down and read... What did 1 Kings 17 and 18 do to you last night? Do you, light, do you delight in that God? I had a little fun. I don't like to use that word very often, but I had a little fun this morning with little Hannah. She got here early and I was here early. And I said, did Elijah raise a little boy to life? How did he do it? She told me all about stretching himself and the little boy three times and praying. And the little guy popped up. We don't know how little he was. And Elijah took him down from the loft and said, here's your son. I said, did you know that Elijah picked a man after him that had twice his spirit? His name was Elisha. Now you read how Elijah raised a little boy to life. Do you know how Elisha proved that he had twice the spirit of Elijah? No. Okay. Brethren, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 tell us, Elisha died and they buried him. And at the beginning of the next year, the Moabites came into the land with an army. And one of their men was killed. And they were going to dig a hole for him, but a band of Israelites came and scared them. So they grabbed the guy and threw him into a hole. The hole happened to have Elisha's bones in it. That dead Moabite fell on Elisha's bones... And came to life. It's only one verse. You've got to read your Bibles carefully. Right. right, Hannah? Isn't that great? Elisha raised a man to life after he was dead. What does that do for you? Do you love that? 
Praise the Lord for His Word. I don't care where you turn. If you will turn in your Bible and humbly ask God to open your eyes to behold wondrous things out of His law, He will light up your soul. And you and I, if we'll be honest with each other right now, and I am not preaching to you as some holier than thou, I am preaching to you as a sinner saved by the grace of God and a wild ass that was tamed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he still shows his ugly donkey nature from time to time. But I beg you, do you delight in the God of heaven like you should? If he's half what the Bible says, shouldn't you be delighting in him and rejoicing in him and forcing yourself to get in, wanting to get into his word every day and forcing other things aside so that you can get into it and pray and talk about it and praise and give thanks and rejoice and love him? Why aren't you doing that? I'll tell you why. Because you're worse than a wild ass. A wild ass wouldn't even own the Bible. Because it has too many rules in it. A wild ass would just go out and live for himself. He'd get rid of every Bible in his house. He'd never darken the door of a church because that'd be a waste of time. Do you know what we could all be doing this morning? We could be watching Sesame Street cartoons and getting geared up, getting our wings together for an NFL orgy all day long. That's a wild ass. Snuffing the air. Trying to find out where it can go to fulfill its lust. No one can bridle it. No one can tame it. You can't stop it. It's so committed to its lust. That is a wild ass. And Israel lived like that at times. And the Lord speaks to them. That's being cold. When the Lord Jesus Christ said, I would you were cold. Or hot. But not lukewarm. So there's the two. You know, if we choose to believe that there's a God in heaven who's created us, redeemed us, and we owe Him everything, and we want to live for Him with joy and pleasure, delight and diligence, then we're better than a wild ass. If we go out and feed ourselves on this world and cast off religion, throw it out the window, and we've had a young fool in our midst do that recently, we're a wild ass, unbridled, untamable, rebellious, running for the wilderness, snuffing up for its lust. But there's another category, and it's what I'm afraid most Christians end up in, giving lip service to God, but chasing their lust like the wild ass. It's the worst situation. Jesus would say, I'd rather have you hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Lukewarm, I'll spew out of my mouth. If you're cold, at least you're consistent. If you're cold, at least you're rational. You're denying I exist, and you're living like it. But why would you come in and say I exist, and then live like I don't? Are you with me on that third category? It's the position of compromise and hypocrisy. And it seeks, our, it seeks our souls every day of our lives. Every day of our lives. If I was to stand any one of you up here, I believe any one of you, and ask you some questions about do you love God, fear God, love Jesus Christ, you would all say yes, yes, yes. But are you living like it? Do you have love in your soul like it? Do your daily activities look like it? Do you serve Him? Do you pursue Him? Do you seek Him in His Word? Do you seek Him in prayer? Do you seek Him with one another? Do you promote Him with one another? Oh, this third 
that category is so terrible. God is jealous, and He will not accept such compromise in His worship. It's a terrible choice to be a hypocrite. Why would anyone do it? But do you know what? Many are deceived into doing it. Here's why they do it. We've got to save face. Oh, it's not worth it. Got to save face with, with us? This little band of sinners? Oh, no, no. Don't let that move you. Just blow us off. And go on out the door and go be a wild ass. Don't be worse than a wild ass because you're worse than a wild ass if you're in here. Because you're losing four hours that you could be spending looking for every green thing. Don't you understand that? That you're wasting time in here. Go after every green thing. I know you're smart. You know that there's lots of green things out there that will really make you happy. You want to be a happy wild ass. So go look for every one of those little green things. But just remember, you're a wild ass. And that's not a pretty animal. If you don't, haven't seen one in a while, go online and look for donkeys. Even type in pretty donkeys. Because you won't find one. They're a wild, ugly animal. I have to preach to myself as much as to you. Do we all understand that? We have within us a wild ass that wants to bust loose. I've already said it once today, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Wander? Isn't that a perfect word in that song? Yes, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's why you hear me pray sometimes, look at the integrity of my heart. Where with what strength I can muster, Lord, I ask Thee to turn me wholly to Thee and make me Thine and chain me to Thee. Against that wild-ass nature. If you choose to be the hypocrite, you are worse than a wild-ass. At least a wild-ass is out there getting his full. He's getting his fill, his lust satisfied. Yes. He's snuffing up the air. He's sniffing out a male. Or he's sniffing out a female. And he's chasing her down. And he's getting himself satisfied. And he's seeking after every green thing. And he's eating it. And he's delighting his soul. Oh, yes. The pleasures of sin for a season. And then the wild ass dies and gets tossed in the grave. But the hypocrite is not as smart as the wild ass. He sits in here and gets these ugly reminders that he ought to be serving God. And so when he goes home today, if he's a child of God and has a little tiny flame in his new man of the Holy Spirit, he cannot enjoy his wings and the NFL as much because of that mean old guy down there at the church. When he goes into God's Word, he never finds the delight I'm talking about Because he's got too much garbage from the world sucking the life out of his soul. Those are the words I use with my wife. I feel like I've had the life sucked out of my soul. So he can't be happy anywhere. 
When you talk to my wife, maybe when you talk to me, you don't think of either of us as philosophers. But, you know, sometimes we philosophize with ourselves and we'll look at each other. You know, we've had some periods in our lives where we were worse than a wild ass. And we didn't even get the pleasure of a wild ass. And I'm ashamed to tell you that. But I can't go back. And I can only go forward. And I thank God for Jesus Christ who cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. And don't ever tell me that I'm never honest with you. I tell you the truth. There are so many. The Lord Jesus Christ looked into the church of Laodicea. And he wished that they were hot or cold, not lukewarm. Paul looked into the church at Philippi and he said, There are many which are belly worshippers, whose God is their belly. Paul told Titus on the island of Crete, Titus, beware. There are many there who profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable. And to every good work, reprobate. They profess that they know God. They're worse than a wild ass. They're not getting their belly filled, and they're not getting their soul filled. They starve on both ends. They starve on both ends. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Solomon tried being a wild ass. He tried being worse than a wild ass. But do you know what his conclusion was? Being better than a wild ass is the whole duty of man. It's the conclusion of all of my studies and observations. Fear God and keep his commandments. Let your faith lay hold of the promises of God and not let go of this. Lay hold of this and not let go. The man that fears the Lord shall come forth of them all. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to hate evil. Proverbs chapter 8. It means to delight in him and seek for his honor and glory in everything you do and everywhere you go. Awake, thou that sleepest. Paul would tell the Ephesian saints. Now, he had just told them they were born again in chapter 2. In chapter 5, he says, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Wake up this morning. Raise yourself from the dead. The doldrums. Have you ever said to your soul, I feel dead? Well, arise to life, and Christ will give you light. Stand up. Choose this assumption of faith that there is a God that the Bible describes and He is a God worthy of all that we have to give Him. Them that do know their God shall do exploits. The prophet Daniel said in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32, Them that do know their God shall do exploits. I want to see you brothers and sisters doing exploits because you fear the Lord. My last verse this morning is one I began with a long time ago. And that is in James chapter 4 where it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It goes on to say this, and I've already mentioned it, but now I read it to you. Draw nigh to God, in verse 8, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Let's get rid of competition on the inside and sell out to the Lord Jesus Christ and God His Father. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. This is a commandment of the Word of God. This is part of what I have to preach to you. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning 
and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. We need to get down and tell the Lord, I believe that you are, and that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek thee. I will be one of those that diligently seek thee. O Lord, lift me up in due time. Humble me before thy word. Afflict me, and I shall be afflicted. Chasten me, because I have been unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn me, and I shall be turned. O Lord God, my Father. This is what the Lord wants for us to do. We must examine ourselves every day. Am I living like a wild ass? Am I living better than a wild ass because I'm living like Enoch? Or am I living the life of a hypocrite and being worse than a wild ass? I show up on Sundays, but I live for myself and this world, and I get along with it quite well the other six days of the week. That is wrong. You will pay for that. You will pay for that. We must turn away from that. If Jesus is only half the king the Bible describes, he should totally control your life. Do you believe that? Let us humble ourselves before him and give him all that we have. What? Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Don't you know that? That's a truth of redemption. That's a truth of the gospel. I hope you'll live like it. It's a good day to have the Lord's Supper. Every wild ass will be chastened by the Lord God of heaven. And everyone playing the life of a hypocrite will be chased by the Lord God of heaven. Don't play with the God that we worship in this church, nor his son, Jesus Christ. Search your hearts. Chasten them. And turn the Lord and purify them. May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen.